It's been a while since I've been up here. I was thinking about it, and I looked at this text, and I thought, man, there's, there's a lot going on. So here's what I got for you. Uh, buckle up, because here we go. We're going to talk, and this is, this is going to be uh, fun, and it's going to be challenging, and it's going to be heavy. And this letter of Paul's to the church in Colossae is full of all of that stuff. It is encouraging, but it's also challenging. And last week, I was so encouraged by, by what I heard. You, you heard the same thing if you were here for the message where are the pastors that lead this place, where their hearts are, what they, what they think, what challenges them and breaks their heart. And I was so encouraged by every response that I heard because my thought was every time I heard another one was, man, that was really good. I wish I would have said that. Then it got to the next one and go, oh, that guy got it right. That's really good. And I think they probably would have all said the same thing. And I just love That we get to be a part of what God is doing in this place. We're not the big deal, but God is the big deal. And it is so much fun to hear about the hearts of the people who lead it. But what about you? I've got questions for you today. You don't have to answer them out loud, but I'd love you to think about them. How do you feel about your church? How, How do you feel about your walk with Jesus? Not what you'd like it to be, but what it is. Is your belief based on God's Word and what God's Word tells you? Or is your belief fashioned on your own with some version of personal religion that you like better and that's a little easier for you to handle? I want to talk about all that this morning. Do you look forward to Sunday mornings or, if you're going to be honest, do you look for an excuse not to show up? How do you feel about that stuff? See, Paul's talking to a church It's in a little bit of a crisis. They're facing the pressure of outside other beliefs that the people are grabbing onto and they seem to think they make some sense. And their beliefs that haven't changed in 2,000 years. The junk that Paul is addressing is the same stuff we're going to talk about today because it just hasn't changed. Because the fact of the matter is the enemy of God really hasn't changed. He doesn't have to change his tactics because they still work. So what do you believe and why? Paul's trying to set straight the believers in Colossae with the real truth of God and Jesus, which just like today, not everybody wants to hear, including people who go to church and call themselves Christians. But you know why it's important that we talk about it? Because time is urgent. We're not guaranteed anything. And if the only time that you have during the week to be challenged about what you believe and where you're going after this life is over is Sunday morning, then I'm going to challenge you with it. Because time is urgent. So we left off last week, and Paul is encouraging this young Christian church by saying to them in verse 6, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Do people call you a person of joy? Is your faith in Jesus so real that the circumstances don't define your attitude? Your trust in Him does. Do you face everything with thanksgiving and what people say about you? You know what? They're a person of joy. What I love doing is being around them because they they make me happy. They are so full of joy. It, It seems like they're thankful no matter what it is that's going on. Because God says we should give thanks in all things. 
See, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've submitted Him, submitted to Him as the Lord of your life, see, Paul is encouraging you to walk with Jesus daily, everywhere, all the time, in every circumstance. To let your faith in Him be the guiding light for you, the, the, the direction for where it is that you take every part of your life. In 2 Corinthians 5.7 it says that we walk by faith, not by sight. It's as simple as what it says. That our lives should be lived as an expression of our faith in Jesus, not by what we see, not by what happens to us, not by what we can understand or figure out on our own, or necessarily even what we want. We walk by our faith in Jesus, not by what we see around us. That's why we pray. That's why we read and study and preach the Word of God, so that we can know what God desires for us. You want to know what God wants for you in your life? Read the Bible. It means that our decisions, our worries, our problems, and our politics should all fall in line with the teachings of Jesus as evidence of our faith in Him. And here's the deal. If you believe in or support or practice or endorse something, anything that is contrary to God's Word, you are living contrary to God's will for you. We don't get to say that I'm going to be a Christian this way and I know that's what God wants, but this is what I believe. The Bible does not give us that option. So that being said, we've got to be completely clear and we've got to do what's really hard for us, and that is that we've got to be honest with ourselves about exactly what it is that we believe. If you call yourself a Christian, if you say, I put my faith and hope and trust in Jesus to forgive my sins and I've submitted my life to Him, then it's extremely important that you follow God's Word as the light to your path through this life and that you don't live out of the faith and the belief and the trust of the things of this world. Why is that important? Because the Bible tells us who is the ruler of this world. The Bible makes it very clear that Satan is the ruler of this world. There's no middle ground. There's no kind of or sort of. Satan is the ruler of this world, and Jesus is the Savior of your soul. Second Corinthians 4, 4, the Bible says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan wants nothing more than to blind human beings' eyes to the good work that God did for us in Jesus. Satan wants you not even to be able to see it. As a non-believer, he wants you blinded. As a believer, he wants your attention to be turned. What Satan really wants us is to be drawn to, attracted to, enamored by the things of this world that do nothing more than take our attention and our affections away from Jesus, who was our only hope and Savior and salvation. See, the message of this world is important because the message of the world is going to take you away from God. It is God's Word and God's Word alone that is going to point you to Him. Jesus alone is the only hope that we have. You know it as well as I do that what we follow, we believe. We believe we follow, right? We do the things that we believe in. We follow them. We trust them. Where we put our faith, we put our money. Where we claim a, a belief, that's how we're going to act. That's how we're going to talk. That's how we're going to live. 
Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. We become servants of whatever it is that we put our trust in. We begin to serve that thing or that person. We give our minds and our affections to it. And I don't know about you, but I want my affections to go to Jesus and I want Him to know it. 1 John 2 says, If, if we claim to live like Jesus, if we claim... To live in Jesus, we have to walk like He did. Our life has to in some way show that we live in Jesus. It's pretty simple to understand. It's not so easy to do. That's why Paul is writing this letter to this church. Verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That passage right there is a month of preaching in itself and we still wouldn't get through it. To dig into the words and the meaning and the intent for us, we could go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And if you know me at all, you know how much I want to talk about that lady right now. My favorite author, talk show host, magazine celebrity and media mogul. I want to talk about her because that verse points right to what she's doing. But I'm not going to, for the moment. What I'm going to talk about instead is what we actually believe. I did some digging this week and said, what what are are some crazy things? I said, hey, Google. And Google answered. Then I had to check it out and make sure I could find it in a few other places. Some of the things that people actually believe and put their hope and their trust in. You ready for this? We're going to have some fun. Then we're going to get real serious. According to the Financial Planning Association, now those people know money, Right? According to the Financial Planning Association of America, do you know what percentage of Americans are counting on winning the lottery as their retirement plan? One in five. Twenty percent. So here's what you do. Look around and figure out who it is standing next to to you. Who's the one that's counting on the lottery win to, to, to plan for their retirement? One in five of us are trusting that winning the lottery, the astronomical odds against winning the lottery is the best plan. So the idea is we're going to spend now and and we're going to save for never because we're going to win the lottery. Do not raise your hand if that's your plan. If that's your plan, please get a better one. To say the odds are against you doesn't begin to cover it. And yet that's what people believe in. I found another one. I found out that... uh, The greatest understanding that science is able to offer for the the beginning of the universe is what's called the Big Bang Theory. It's pretty well accepted in in, in scientific circles. There's really not a secondary option. That's kind of what they have. And I find out that there's as many people in America that believe in the Big Bang Theory as believe in the reality of Bigfoot. Think about that for a moment. I mean, you want to talk about the clash of scientific thinking... As many Americans find it just as plausible that we're going to run into Bigfoot the next time we go through the woods as believe in the Big Bang Theory. I served under a pastor once, and uh, he did a month-long Bible study. And while this Bible study was going on, the paper was doing a, a feature article on him. And when the Bible study was over, part of the article was about what the study found. And what he had printed in the paper, and there was one of those mid-article kind of bold point headlines... Uh, and, and basically, the decision was, after a month of deep study, this pastor and his group decided that the, they were going to go on record saying the Bible was 90 to 95 percent believable. 
90 to 95% true. And that was what made the paper. Which got me thinking, how many people out there really believe the Bible is true at all? And it, what I found out is about 30% of America actually believes that the Bible is God's Word to us. The other 70% believe that it's a group of, of stories and traditions, and, and that means that there's a whole lot of Christians that don't believe that the Bible is true and trustworthy. A couple of weeks ago, I passed by a church not far from here, and they had one of those cool electric signs that you can change the message on. And it was talking about that they were inviting people and welcome church. They, they welcome everybody that wants to come in. That's a, that's a fine message. And then the next one that scrolled said, we take the Bible seriously, not literally. And I thought the pastor at that church endorsed that message. We, we take the Bible seriously, not literally. We'll listen to what it says, but we don't really trust it. So what about you? Where are you in all this? Where are you in what you believe and in what you don't? See, Paul pointed out in his day some of the things that are happening in our world because they just haven't changed. How about the idea of like self-help as the answer of the way to fix yourself? If you believe you can really fix yourself in a meaningful way from the inside out, I'd ask you how you do on your New Year's resolutions. And the conversation would be, I don't know, I forget them by February 1st or January 10th, right? And yet self-help books are a big business. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe in, as long as you believe in something, because God is love. And hey, if God is love, that means everybody gets to go to heaven. That's an awful popular one today. That one gets a lot of press and a lot of airtime, including in some churches. Or that there's really good godly principles and ideas in, in pretty much every religion and belief system. My personal hot button, that Christianity and Islam are really the same religion pointing to the same deity. We just go about it in slightly different, although equally peaceful paths. No way. And the reason I say no way is that a father cannot have two opinions of his son. Either he is his son or he is not. They are not the same. End of discussion. You can talk to me about it later. I'm not budging. But what do you believe? doesn't really matter to you what I believe, but it matters for all eternity what you believe. See, all those lies that we just had at the end there, they're straight from the devil, the rule of this world, who wants to enslave us in sin and capture our minds and turn us away from Jesus. And I chose all those things carefully because every single one of them has been championed by Oprah who says that there are millions of ways to, quote, get to God. But what do you believe? As a side note from a preacher who wants to help fill heaven, I would want to say to Oprah, you will never get, quote, unquote, to God. God came to you. God has already come to you in the form of a child born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus, and He is God's only Son. And He lived roughly 33 years as a human being, and He was put to death on a cross. He's also the only hope that you have for forgiveness of your sins that she claims are all okay because they just help us on our path. Jesus alone is the only way to salvation, which means believing in Him, the one whom God sent, is the only way to, quote, unquote, get to God. 
And I know I'm nobody she's ever going to listen to, and she'll never believe me, but one day she's going to find out that all of us that, be- excuse me, that believe that are right, because God promises us that in His Word. I wish she'd just believe, but she doesn't. And in case you're wondering on why it seems like I pick on her, my reason is simple. Oprah knows that she's a pastor to the largest non-Christian church in the whole wide world. She talks about it. It's discussed in interviews with her. It's been written. She agrees. She's been broadcast in 150 countries. She was number one in daytime TV ratings for two decades straight. She was welcomed into 48 million homes a week. And 59 books are bestsellers because she highlighted them on her book club. She's got more than 29 million followers on Twitter. Why is all that important? Because Oprah knows that she is the voice of this world. She speaks and people listen. They trust and they believe in her. They give their money and they read what she tells them to read. And all of it matters because she doesn't preach Jesus as the Savior of the world, the only Son of God. In fact, she preaches loudly and proudly a message that is contrary to the Word of God. She leads people away from God as He's presented Himself to us in His Word. And she leads them down a road of worshiping self. And like Paul says, the philosophies and traditions of this world, the very things Paul is warning us against. And for those of you that are fans of hers, I'm sorry, but it's just true. Paul goes on to verse 9, For in the whole fullness of deity dwells, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. God, God came to earth in the person of Jesus. And all of the power and all of the deity and the, all the fullness that God has that created everything that we see and know, lived in Jesus. And when we give our lives to Him, we become filled by Him. Simply put, the same power that created all of the universe was in Jesus. And when we accept Him as our Savior, that same power fills us. There's nothing of this world that can possibly compete with that. That same power is in us when we give up living for ourselves and we begin to live for Him. Jump to verse 13, and this is where, if you wanted to, you could could jump and you could clap and you could cheer. You could high-five God and give Him a big thank you. Verse 13, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, that's our sin, that stood against us with its legal demands. That's where we said the the price of sin is death. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. That's good news, folks. The Bible makes it clear, Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Outside of a relationship with Jesus, you can build a fine life. You can have good friends. You can be a fine person. You can find success in the world, and you can even find happiness. What you cannot find, what you cannot read about, what you cannot put into practice on your own is the truth of the forgiveness of the sins that you commit, that you know about, that plague you with guilt your whole life. That is the one thing that we cannot deal with on our own. Outside of Jesus, we have no hope, no hope. And Paul says God set aside our sin 
as well as the cost of its punishment and nailed it to the cross of Jesus. Just think about that. He set it aside and nailed it to the cross of Jesus. What that's saying is your sin, the sin you've confessed and the sin you cling to, your sin and my sin are the nails that were pounded into the wrists and the ankles of Jesus to secure Him to the cross. That's what Paul is telling us. Why? So that in the humility of Jesus' death on the cross and the glory of His resurrection from from the grave, Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities of this world. Satan and all of his temptations, and the Bible says he's put them to open shame for all the world to see that everybody would know that Jesus, the only Son of God, has triumphed over them and the very thing that they thought put an end to the problem that was Jesus was the very thing that defeated the power that they thought they had. That is why we celebrate. But I ask you, what do you believe? See, God loves you so much that He allows you to believe whatever you want to believe. But for all of human history, all of our wisdom and all of our technology, all of our intelligence and all of our arrogance... The only thing that will never be put to shame is the rugged cross of Christ. Where our sins were the nails that held him captive until he breathed his last breath. As payment in full for the penalty of our sinfulness. That's truth. But what do you believe? What do you get in return for whatever it is that you believe, whatever you have faith in? What assurance for the moment, much less the future... Does that thing offer to you? Or does it only give you some measure of comfort, some happiness in the moment without thinking about what's coming down the road? Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the one who will not fail you. The only one. He will not let you down. He's the one that's paid the price for our lives of sinful rebellion against God, no matter what you want to call it, no matter how the world wants to package it. He is the only one who will ever... Get us to God. Now you can believe whatever you want, and you're going to get to meet God one day. But it's Jesus and Jesus alone in His death and resurrection is the only way that we'll ever pass from that day of judgment to eternity with our Creator. You'll get to meet God, but you won't get to spend eternity with Him. So what do you choose to believe in? What matters to you? What is most important? Who do you believe in? See, if it's the things of this world, i got news for you. You're already living for them. If it's Jesus, are you walking with and living for Him? See, unlike Oprah and every other religious leader the world has ever known, Jesus is the only one who died for you. And all He says is, will you live for me? So what do you believe in? Folks, time is short. Don't say you'll figure it out next week, next month, next year. You might not have tomorrow. What do you believe in? What is most important to you? Who is Jesus to you? Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us so much that you let us decide what matters to us, what's important. And God, thank you that you have given us more than enough information, more than enough evidence, more than, more than enough living proof in our lifetimes and in our experience to know that You are real, to know that Jesus is real, that Your Holy Spirit is ever-present. Thank You, God, that You love us so much that you, 
You surround us with Your Word and with people and with information all over the place that all points to You. In a world that wants to point us away from You, thank You, God, that You give us signs and wonders and proof and truth that we can know that You're real. God, our, our prayer, of course, would be that everyone would come to know You, that, that they would give their lives to You, that they would put their faith and hope and trust in Your Son, Jesus, and live for and walk with Him. God, we thank You that in Jesus, You did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank You for the gift that we can just never repay. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Hey, this might surprise you. It might even shock you. Here's the truth. I don't hate Oprah. I don't even dislike Oprah. In fact, I pray for Oprah quite often. And here's the reason I pray for Oprah is Oprah knows the truth. Oprah was raised in the truth. Oprah used to confess and believe the truth. The sad thing is that she's turned away from it. And now she's leading people away from the truth. And the reason I use her as an example and I ask you what you believe is because there's people out there that are going to know, want to know what you believe. And every single one of us, from me to every one of you, believes in something that people want to know about. What do you believe in and what do you tell them? Does your belief point them to a relationship with Jesus? Or does your belief point them away from a relationship with Jesus? I look at the audience that that woman has and I just so wish that she used that power that she's got with those people to point people to Jesus. But she doesn't. But you know what? You can. We have the responsibility to understand and to know and to walk with Jesus and then in turn to point people to Him. What do you believe? What do you share? How do you live?